calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Christoph Laputka, and this is Leviathan Presents. It's a segment where we highlight one audio fiction creator, have a conversation, and then play a full episode of their show right here in our feed. I hope you'll enjoy today's guest, and without further ado, let's get into the interview. This is Leviathan Presents. Hey, Christoph. Hey, Robin. Well, this is a special day. It sure is. So today we actually have the pleasure of being in the same room together for this episode of Leviathan Presents. We do. Uh, And it is also a really special episode for us. You know, way back in 2010, when we were wrapping up season one of Leviathan Chronicles, we were invited to be guests on a podcast produced up in Maine called Radio Drama Revival. Uh, It was a show that was very similar to what you and I are doing today, where uh, they would have an interview with an audio drama creator and then play some of their work. It was one of our first real opportunities to speak about what we were making. And the host and producer of Radio Drama Revival, a guy named Fred Greenhalge, was really one of our earliest champions. So I am so happy that today, almost 15 years later, we're coming full circle. Christoph and I get the chance to turn the tables on Fred and interview him for our show. Fred, thank you so much. Oh, the, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I maybe forgot that connection. So that's a, that is, that's wonderful. What a journey we've been on together making audio dramas. And in the years since we went on Fred's show, he has gone on to become one of the leading figures in modern audio drama. Uh, he's got a staggering body of work. He's made a bunch of his own original shows like The Cleanse and The Dark Tome. He's produced the official audio adaptations of Big IP, like The X-Files and Batman. And for the past few years, he has been the head of audio production at Realm, the audio fiction podcast network that Leviathan Chronicles is a part of, where he oversees all of their original productions. I think it's something like five or ten new series every year, maybe more. Uh, And he is here today to talk about his latest show, Narcosis. 
We're going to go deep. <laughs> but Fred's not here alone today. We are also joined by Chris Bernier, who is the writer and creator behind Narcosis. In addition to writing for audio drama, Chris is a screenwriter and filmmaker who most recently worked as one of the screenwriters on a 2022 film, Halloween Ends. Chris grew up here on the East Coast as an East Hampton native, where he learned the craft of writing by studying from local literary heroes like Peter Benchley and Kurt Vonnegut. And he's currently based in Maine and is working on Lore, a horror movie set in a haunted southern town, as well as Weave, his feature directorial debut about a group of rural Maine neighbors who become trapped in a cursed forest. And his novella, Dead Man's Suit, is currently available to download for free on Amazon right now. Gentlemen, welcome to Leviathan Presents. Hello, thanks for having me. So Fred, Chris, tell us to start, what is Narcosis and why should our audience be interested in it? So Narcosis is a uh, sort of aquatic horror story about a diver named Veronica West, who's a professional diver working on a project off the coast of Scotland when she gets a call from an old friend to return to the small main uh, island hometown where she grew up as a very much a child of the sea, um, but left many, many years ago or 15 years earlier to be exact under strange circumstances and hasn't been home. And she's called back to this island, Sinclair Island, to rescue the body of her childhood best friend who has been missing and lost at sea. So it's sort of a personal story, kind of a, you, you know, you can never go home again, return to her roots for Veronica um, with some some personal drama and mystery surrounding her, her, her departure and her return. That also then kind of quickly segues into being a, kind of a, you know, underwater adventure, horror romp where things get progressively stranger as we go. Oh, no. Yeah. Th things at the bottom of the ocean are completely normal. That <laughs> we've, we've all well, Leviathan this. fans know that. <laughs> yes, there's nothing spooky or terrifying under the water whatsoever. It's a very normal place. Yeah, I think like one of the qualities that was interesting to Fred and I when we were thinking about this and then, you know, we, we think we've brought to life was combining some of the fun traits of, I guess, the tradition you can call folk horror or like horror that's really specific to a place. But then so so having this kind of folk horror on ramp into something that feels very much like an adventure tale and, and kind of the tradition of John Carpenter movies or, you know, things like The Thing and, and even The Abyss. So we, we were excited to sort of explore that as a compact and personal way into doing something that gets pretty adventurous and strange. Well, in Leviathan, we certainly deal with the underwater world a lot. And it's almost like in Narcosis, there's two worlds. There is the world of Sinclair Island on the surface, but then there's a second world, which is what happens below the ocean, you know, below the surface of the water. Chris, as somebody who has written for horror before and done horror on film, how does terror and horror translate underwater? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it was both presented one of the biggest opportunities and then also one of the biggest sort of like nervy points of diving into this, so to speak. It, it is the unknown and it's the unknown in the most extreme sense. Like you can't mess around 
or the sea will take you apart. You know, you can have all the human drama you want on dry land and you can kind of hash out old wounds and, and rekindle, you know, old dramas and, and relationships. But then when you get in the water, particularly when it's a challenging body of water as the Bay of Fundy is, then it's kind of like all bets are off. So the fun for the audience is being drawn in through these sort of relatable emotional dynamics that feel, you know, sort of soap operatic, but then keeping those kind of lean and mean. And then you're with those characters, you're, you're in their head, you're sort of relating to the experience that they're having. And then when you get underwater with them, it's about as scary of an environment as you can imagine being in. If it's something that's out of your familiarity, it's out of your depth. So to have something that has like this incredibly challenging environmental or physical challenge to it in deep sea diving, but then to layer into that other threats and other realities it just felt like such a wild and fun opportunity. The other thing too is that like there are monuments in towns around here to fishermen who are lost at sea. Every year, people are lost at sea. They die. Their fishing boats capsize. They go down in the deep sea. And then the day calms down and you can kind of almost like see from the shore where these boats went down. And so it's sort of a weird thing because there's actually like an immediacy. You're like, you're not that far from, from where this goes bad. I think that's it. There's just a mythic and imposing quality to the sea that I think will continue to transfix us all. As well as if, if I could just sort of like layer on one other thing, Chris, is we were both, you, you had turned me on to the film, The Descent, which I think was a really good reference point because it's, so I don't want to like spoil too much, but basically the, you know, the story follows an arc of, of like a return, a journey home, a dive mission and the dive mission sort of progressively uh, builds pressure. And there are things that maybe are beyond this world, but we were trying to be very disciplined about where that comes in because the inherent experience of being, you know, a couple hundred feet above underwater has so much horror to be had without even having, uh, boy, there's noises down here that aren't things we can put our rational minds to explain. Then it just sort of like really gives us a lot of power because the goal of like do as much as you can before introducing a monster is is a really fun challenge. And yeah, I'll, I'll be curious what people think because right around about the five or six episodes in. If you think it's scary then, you just wait till you hit the middle act. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I thought was was a really interesting choice as a creator, Chris, is you you wanted to bring in the suspense of being underwater, but specifically you chose mm -hmm. you chose cold <laughs> water diving, which most people when they think about scuba diving, it's it's tropical, it's reefs, it's just you know slapping on a tank and a regulator. But you know, as as you and I who know about diving, cold water diving is an entirely different skill set and and different ball of wax, both from a from a technical basis and and a physics basis. Um, why did you choose the uh, a cold water diving backdrop um, for your story? Yeah, so I mean, I think we got excited about the idea of doing something off the coast of Maine because you know there's something around. 4,000 islands off the coast of Maine, which is sort of a staggering number. Now, a lot of these islands are, you know, the size of a dining room table, but many of them are not. So even let's like, let's say conservatively, there are hundreds that are kind of unexplored. And we, so we were like, well, that's like a really wild thing that is somewhat unique to me. And yeah, and I think just the conditions being as relentless and unforgiving as they are, you don't get a lot of deep sea diving around here, but you do get a lot of shipwrecks historically so less nowadays obviously 
but you do get mishaps in the ocean because the ocean is so brutal here. So the thought of putting someone, uh, you know, putting a team of expert divers up against those conditions just kind of added another layer of, of fun. Cold water diving is not something that I think you can really convey the difficulty of that. I'll, I'll say Fred with the direction and, and kind of working through the, the beats of the story with me has really dialed in the horror of the experience in a way that I think is very effective, but also was wonderful to witness kind of him bringing that to life. It's it's like you get, you get in the waters, you get in these cold waters and, and that alone is just such a, such an imp- imposing factor that will threaten you within minutes, within minutes you're in trouble. And I think there was that portion of the story where we really wanted it to be about kind of human error, human struggle, you know, things go wrong, but it's not really driven by an antagonist or by an evil presence per se in that section of the story. We, we just wanted to make Make it as hard as possible on our main characters, you know? I think it's true. To this day, there's like, uh, now I'm going to forget which world war, the first or the second, but there are, I think it's Nazis. I think it was World War II. There are U-boats. There's like German submarines sunk off the coast of Maine. Because there used to be quite a huge naval presence here because, you know, it's the most eastern seaboard of the United States where there, you know, people have just not explored these wrecks. And so that was just sort of mind boggling to us where, you know, again, like, yeah, the, the, this idea that, you know, and it comes up in Leviathan Chronicles, right? People know more about outer space or, you know, the ability to explore Mars is sort of so, on some levels more technically feasible than some of these like deep, deep underwater locations. Uh, so I want to zoom out a little and sort of, Talk to you a little bit about, you know, the the craft behind this show and behind audio drama in general. Uh, so, Fred, I've been following your work for quite a long time. And, you know, something I've I've always kind of admired about you is, you know, you're kind of this interesting bridge between, you know, an older generation of audio or back then radio drama creators and, you know, the more modern podcast era that we're in now. I know, you know, early on you kind of forged relationships with people at places like the BBC and National Audio Theatre Foundation that, you know, we're, we're making this stuff before any of us even really knew what it was, which I think is kind of a weird rarity for a lot of the more modern audio drama creators in, in our space. Uh, yeah, I do feel just because of the time I was born and the time I got interested in the things, I do feel like part of my like you know, journey in this life is sort of bridging radio's history with, with the future. And that has sort of weirdly helped me out in unexpected ways. So like I got into this stuff, I was still a senior in college. It turned out I had listened to things like the NPR Star Wars and like the BBC Lord of the Rings, but I didn't know to call it a radio drama. It was just sort of like Star Wars on tape or something. But then it was like a college buddy who said, hey, have you ever heard of these old time radio dramas and gave me like literally the like the Walter Cronkite best of the 20th century radio dramas. And it was like a total like black and white to technicolor moment for me. Like, how does this like whole other way of telling stories? Like, how have I gotten to be in my 20s and didn't know it existed? And yeah, the the, the reference points were like, you know, Tom Lopez and the NZBS Foundation. Uh, I mean, I still adore the work of Roger Gregg, who was doing stuff for the RTE radio in Ireland at the time, uh, BBC greats, you know, the works of John Dryden, Dirk Mags, of course, and, you know, Dirk and John obviously are still doing things, podcasts and Audible, respectively. I mean, to this day, a lot of creators are just like, I wanted to make a thing. I started making a thing. And eventually I found some friends on the internet. That's like how a lot of us got started, where we had like, a, you know, visions of making a you know, film or TV show. And we just said, I, I can make this with my friends as a podcast. 
that seems a lot easier than this other path. But at the time, this was like, literally, you still had to like hand code an XML feed. And, and I think the error I've watched is essentially the democratization of production where you had to go from like, you know, Tom Lopez did this amazing on location work, hauling around a 50 pound Nagra reel to reel recorder to the Amazon, whereas now, you know, like a $100 Zoom device kind of does the same thing. In that era, uh, well, and I, what I, I, this is like where the, like the history part is interesting. So I did literally one paper on this in college, but it was enough to sort of contextualize stuff. So like in the early days of like the radio, that was kind of the deal. It was like this technology that the military had sort of said, I think this will be cool, but uh, you know, like basically ham radio people in their attics were just making stuff and playing around with it. And then eventually it kind of caught on and became bigger. And so that's where I've seen podcasts. That's what podcast was. It's like just a bunch of like, and uh, Christoph, you were right there with the, you know, the Scott Siglers and the JC Hutchins and such just being like, here's a new way to tell a thing. We don't really know what we're doing, but let's start doing stuff. And somewhere like the creators and the people who wanted to experience what the creators had to offer found each other. You know, there's probably been multiple phases within the, within the modern uh, journey of audio drama, but we're now at a point where someone in their 20s is much more likely to be influenced by like Welcome to Night Vale or Archive 81 or, you know, Old Gods of Appalachia as they are, you know, like a BBC show. They probably don't even necessarily think the BBC has anything to offer them. And that's why uh, the BBC has been through a whole journey. Yeah. So that's that's like the high level view. Like my personal view, it's it's very, the longer I've done it, the more I feel like there's sort of no one way to tell a story. Like I've done things like the cleanse that had 40 or something actors with narcosis. We were, we still ended up with like 15 humans, I think, but a, but a much smaller more tightly knit core group of people. So the like question of what works in audio, I think is a very fluid question because I think you can do very small, very intimate closed set pieces. I also think you can do really, uh, you know, the big audio movie, the big sound effect and you know, really cinematic stuff, you know, and you can do really powerful stuff with like one person gathering around the virtual campfire with very little sound design. And that works well too. And yeah, time has passed, but the thing I keep learning about audio is that, there are no limits and we're still just figuring out what can even be done. I mean, it's interesting because you yourself have also had like a big evolution in, in your craft. What has it been like for you going from producing stuff on your own to becoming like a professional freelance independent producer to now, you know, leading your own full-time team who make multiple series a year that are all under your umbrella. Yeah, well, you know, you guys remember like my, my very, very first works were on like, a sound blaster card and like a radio, you know, a microphone radio shack. And they just, you know, sound quality wise, we're not super good. And I, I struggled at first. Like, I think a lot of people who are starting today, even though it's easier to get microphones that don't suck, uh, to just to get sound that is at all good. You know, kind of my first mentor was Roger Gregg, who, cause he had just stuff that sounded so good. And like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just like record it like it's a movie. Like you went to film school, right? Can you just do that? Bring actors out in the world. And I bought literally the microphone he recommended I buy and started doing that. And like immediately my shows were like a hundred times better. And so that was like, and that became kind of like my you know, unique thing that, that Fred did during that era. Like, like looking back at the cleanse, we were like r running around and like, abandoned warehouses and subterranean tunnels and stuff. And that was the stuff that like, you know, th that got the 
Wall Street Journal thought that was an interesting thing. That's how I got that piece. That's how I got even Lock and Key. That was part of like the pitch to Audible that made it unique is like, oh, they're going to record it kind of like a movie. So then to go from that, and then I think on X-Files, we it was like sort of a good primer to the world we live in today because that was the first time we were challenged with recording seven or so studios involved in that. Like David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson couldn't be recorded at the same time due to availability issues. The Lone Gunman, we did record simultaneously, but one of them was on a Australia and two were like in Oregon and then like Skinner uh, was in California. And this was like the first time we'd ever heard of Isotope RX. And we're like, how do we make all this stuff sound like a piece? And so that I feel like was really great training. To, like I knew how to get the quality of sound I wanted on location. How do we get it in the studio? And how do you get all these studio stuff to, to meld together? And then, yeah. And then somewhere in there, you know, flash forward like five, six years and there's a pandemic and suddenly it's like, Nobody can be in the same room together. How do you make it sound like a thing? And I definitely, you know, I'll own that. Like I was among the curmudgeonly old timers who were like, I don't know about this remote recording thing. We record things in studios. If people don't aren't directed together, I don't. Uh, and but then we all had to figure it out. And I, I think at this point in time, that's what's really interesting about it is I do. You know, I'm based here in Maine. Narcosis had uh, probably our most complicated session had a New York, Chicago, and L.A performers all acting together in real time over Zoom, except that we weren't using Zoom audio, of course. We were using like local recordings uh, from the various studios and, and to get it all to sound seamless. And I've been very impressed at how good you can actually make that sound and how it's and in certain ways can be additive because like you can just edit it however you want because you don't have sort of like the performance printed. And now like, you know, now like with, we were far enough away from the pandemic that like uh, the move to in-studio recording has has been, you know, very happening so you know maybe on my next project we'll be back out in a barn i don't know uh but it's sort of it's just ride all the yeah, way well i mean i know it sounds like your location recording days are mostly behind you and i'm we'll see i i it's i'll say it's it's a it's getting people to show if it's getting i mean i'd say back in those days one of the big differences is like like spooking like right right you know, but back when we could book actors for be like hey show up for an entire day and then i'll pay you like 100 bucks and feed you lunch like that's very different than uh, you working under SAG contracts. It's sort of a whole different ball of wax. And and if you're someone's in New York and you want to record them in a cave, it's a whole it's a whole journey to get them to where the cave is. So that's you know it's a longer conversation, but uh, never say never. So Chris, I had a question for you as as a writer for Leviathan. Um, you know, I, I originally first envisioned Leviathan kind of as a novel that I was adapting for audio drama. And then I kind of decided that, no, Leviathan is always meant to be an audio drama. And, and there was a, a shift. So much of your screenwriting experience is for film. What was it like uh, switching from a film writing process into an audio drama writing process? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I guess there's a couple things I'll kind of key into. Up front, Fred and I had a conversation where he framed it up for me, and it sort of helped me wrap my head around how to measure the sandbox, if you will. Uh, and he was like, it's sort of somewhere between a movie and a season of a TV series. It's not the clipping along plot, plot, plot of a movie, which even if you watch a you know, drama, they tend to clip along. You're packing a good bit of information, particularly like things that come out of the modern system, if you will. Um, not talking about, you know, old and wonderful French and Italian movies, but the modern day movies tend to be very plot centered, plot driven, even the more kind of character based ones. 
And whereas, you know, television is, it's about the character and building that world and situating an audience. So he kind of, he was like, it's somewhere in between those two. So I started thinking in terms of kind of like longer form movie storytelling meets sort of like standalone season television. And then, so that kind of kind of gave me a, 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 an orienting point in terms of like, well, how much narrative are we getting at? What does this kind of character arc need to be? Let's try to keep it, you know, not to give anything away, but let's try to keep it relatively contained to this uh, one season of Narcosis. And then, you know, honestly, the job of a screenwriter for the studio system uh, writing movies is just a very different job than writing a season of an audio podcast. And I think they have different, I don't like the word constraints because I sort of like look at the guidelines or guardrails as sort of being part of your process that helps you make decisions. But I think the first point is just there are far fewer people involved in the process. You know, so you have far fewer people involved in working out what the story is going to be and thereby, you know, a little bit more latitude to embrace a vision, kind of do something that feels more singular, more auteur based. There are many people who are writer directors who have that luxury in the studio system making movies where they can write a thing and direct it. But that hasn't been my experience to point. So usually there's just a lot, there are a lot more people involved in sort of changing things and making creative decisions and giving notes. And you've got to kind of tweak it, adjust it. You're constantly, constantly doing that. You're in a constant process of remodeling and rewriting. Um, whereas this one was more of like, a, let's get the design, let's get the architecture, the structure that we want to attend to. And then let's, you know, let's sort of take perhaps a little more of that like authorial approach. So it's a different kind of energy because I also think that like you can, audiences can feel it, you know, you can sort of feel it when something is not to use a, a red letter word, but content, you know, you can kind of feel it. Right. Whereas if it's if it's just the the creation of a couple people who are coming together and saying, what's a really fun story we can tell? You can also sort of feel that as well. And some of the narrative decisions then can be a bit bolder and some of the narrative decisions can feel a little bit shaggier. But I think there's also those there's energy to those shaggy ends. That's a good thing. It's exhilarating. It's really good to get to work on something where, you know, you're you're not, you know, kind of constantly staring in the mirror wondering if it's any good. Well, I I just want to say that from our end, as two guys that love underwater audio drama, we are super stoked to hear the rest of Narcosis. There are nine episodes of Narcosis in total, and you're going to be listening to episode one of Narcosis in just a minute. But we're really excited to hear where the story goes. So, yeah, Fred, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. If there's anything else you guys want to plug right now, take it away. Uh, can I plug OG Leviathan Chronicles? There's a <laughs> sequence, I forget where it is, but like when they first start exploring um, the underwater location, that is like a uh, an extended underwater sequence, which I think was one of my first times hearing something like that executed. So, you know, <laughs> oh, listeners wow. should go back and listen to that one. Great plug. Thank you. <laughs> we love it. Chris, where can everybody find Narcosis? Uh, Narcosis is where you listen to podcasts. It's on all platforms uh, on the wonderful Undertow feed, which is Realm's channel for elevated horror. Get it there. Well, great, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Leviathan Presents. And without any further ado, here's episode one of Narcosis. You're listening to Narcosis. Just a lot because it's a rare 
bright day in the Highlands. Temperatures today reached a balmy 15 degrees with wind. Veronica, what's your location? I've lost you on the finder. I have visual on her, Sonna. She's welding the seam in engine five. Almost done. All patched up. No other signs of compromises or obtrusions. Turbine holes are clean. Diagnostic looks good. Good work. We are headed back. Well, that went quicker than I was expecting. We'll have a chance to get cleaned up before the dinner with the CGEN suits. I prefer to do my executive meetings in flip-flops. You hear that? Sounds like an engine went down. Number two. What the hell? Let's check it out. What is that? Be careful. If it's larger than the propeller, it could eject at any moment. Something's sticking out. It. Get your tank off. I need to take a look at you. Deep breaths. There you go. Okay, your heart rate is spiking. Let me give you something to calm you down. No, I'm fine. Okay. Let's head in. Let's toast to C-Gen Phase 2. Phase 2? <laughs> phase 2. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> so now, Billy, um, how about a game of dogs? Sure. How about another drink for us? Sounds great. On me. So, wait, we're talking Phase 2 already? Yeah, you put us in a great position. Basically, we took the system design here in Durness, which has been doing so well, brought it to a company in Japan. Board members were all impressed. They want one just like it to go up by the spring. That's ambitious. It is, but look, Veronica, we came all this way because uh, we're here to promote you. Um, actually, we'd like you to be our head of global logistics. Wait, me? <laughs> yes, you, Veronica. It's a big step up, I know, but you're gonna kill it. I don't know what to say, I'm- You're excited. Yes, yes, of course, yes, yes, I'm excited. And you're feeling good about it. You're up for the challenge. 1,000%. Can I tell my team? Of course, just that you can get your phone, you know. Oh, it's probably- what is it? Are you okay? Oh, nothing. I I'm sorry. Can you excuse me for a minute? I'll be right back. Charlie? Hi, Veronica. Wow, I am surprised to hear from you. How are you? How's Sophia? Something happened. Ted let us slip that they're going to be doubling our salary. Oh, I always wanted to go to Japan. Will we source a local team to train? Veronica? Can I get another? <coughs> another, please. Oh, okay, Veronica, slow down. I mean, they make great whiskey around here, but you're gonna be on the floor soon. Hey, you, you still freaked out about whatever you saw? There's something else. What's going on? I just got a call from the husband of an old friend, Sophia. She's gone. What? Sophie and I used to dive together on the island where we grew up in Maine. Sinclair. She went and did a solo dive ten days ago in the Bay of Fundy. Not exactly the spot to do a solo dive. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> it most certainly isn't. But that's where she went diving, and that's where she went missing. And now, Sophia's body is lost at sea. She's been declared dead, and they're making the arrangements for her funeral, and <sighs> I'm so sorry. Her dive tracker malfunctioned. They weren't able to locate her until now. Tracker started working again, and they've been able to pinpoint her location. It's in a cave, 300 feet down. I'm, I'm excited about phase two in Japan, but I need to retrieve Sophia's body. We're going with you. No. Guys, it's your vacation. I'll manage fine on my own. Please don't worry about me, seriously. Hey, we're a team. And that's not going to be a dive you can do on your own or with inexperienced divers. Let's go get your friend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on now. Tickets, please, tickets. From one cold, isolated island to another. I think it's cute. I need to get one of those lobster sandwiches. Ugh, disgusting. Lobsters are the cockroaches of the ocean. Yeah, plus they eat the dead. Well, they're delicious. If your friend's family has so much money, why are we taking the ferry? Sophia's family doesn't have any money, but her husband Charlie's family owns most of the island. And they always have the Evans. And we're going to be using one of their boats for the dive? Yeah, Charlie's boat. He's the only one I've spoken to about the retrieval mission. I don't know what's going on with the rest of the family. But you know these people. I used to know them very well. Hey, mind grabbing us some coffees from the snack bar, Billy? Yeah, sure. God, I can't believe I'm here. I promised myself I would never come back. Okay, look, you haven't told us anything about the island and whatever happened to you. What went down between you and Sophia? We grew up together. Well, really, her family took me in as one of their own. It was just me and my Aunt Kelly here on the island, and she was busy with work, so I was left alone a lot. In the summer after our senior year of high school, Sophia and I took a sailboat out. We were planning to go diving in a restricted area on the north side of the island, Old Shink Cove. It's a really nasty stretch of shoreline. No one ever dives there, and we were thinking it would be this big, momentous experience. We'd heard stories of shipwrecks and things, stuff we wanted to check out. But our boat capsized in a whirlpool. We were both injured pretty badly. I recovered quickly, but Sophia was unconscious for a few days. Unconscious? We landed in an urchin grove and got stung. We both blacked out on the shore rocks from their poison. Lucky you didn't die. We almost did. I came around quicker. I helped look after Sophia with her boyfriend, and... You hooked up with him? Yeah. He wanted to be with me after that, and... When Sophia recovered, he tried to break up with her. I'm sorry. Hey, but seriously, you're being way too hard on yourself. Am I? Yeah, we all make those kinds of mistakes when we're young. Where the hell is the boyfriend now, anyway? You didn't have to break up with Sophia. Charlie. Her husband. Yeah. Got it. Charlie's family owns most of the island, so... It was a bigger deal than under normal circumstances. And I never spoke to Sophia again after that all went down. Coffee. Coffee. Thank you. Did I miss something? Oh, no. We're just enjoying the view. 
the jagged rocks or the sheer cliffs. <laughs> no wonder there's so many shipwrecks. Jesus. Oh, it's rugged. Primal. Hmm. I'd forgotten how stunning it is. Urchin Fest? I thought this state was in love with crustaceans. <laughs> Not on this island. Urchin Fest is the biggest weekend of the season. Thousands descend on Sinclair for a taste of urchin in all the ways. Fried, baked, boiled, and broth. Even raw. I'll stay with the lobster. <sighs> Veronica. Hi, Charlie. You really didn't have to come meet us down here. I'm so sorry about Sophia. This is Dr. Sana Anand and my dive partner, Billy Moyes. Hello, Charlie. Thank you for being here. It means a lot. I promise you, Charlie, we are going to retrieve Sophia's body. Uh, about that. Something wrong? I should have cleared your plan to dive for my wife, uh, Sophia, with my parents first. They'd prefer if you held off on diving. What? It's just too treacherous. The cave she's in is deep, and the conditions are extremely challenging. Don't worry about it at all. We specialize in deep caves in extremely challenging conditions. All the same, my folks have instructed me to ask you to hold off on the mission. Charlie, we can't just leave her down there. <laughs> yeah, they thought you might have that reaction, so they've brought in a support team. I'm sorry, a what? My folks found a few diving contractors through their government connections, ex-military, to escort you and assist you. They'll be there to help, really, that's all. Charlie, we are one of the best diving teams in the world. We don't need help. Maybe if I could explain to your parents. You know how they are. Very sensitive about anything related to the family. They want to make sure that you're properly supported so that there aren't any accidents. That's considerate of them. Look, I'm so grateful that you're here. This has been the worst nightmare of my life and I'm barely keeping my shit together. This is the least I can do for her, for you. Where is this other team? They're at the resort now. And thank you all for understanding. None of this has been easy, and my parents have a way of just taking control no matter the situation. But I told them, Sophia would have wanted it to be you to go and get her. So that's what needs to happen. We'll find her. This place has changed. Yeah, there were some break-ins maybe 10 years back. Whole place is gated around to the shoreline now. The guests don't like to mingle with the locals. Right, please get their luggage to the rooms. Mom has everything covered. Yes, of course, Mr. Evans. Well, welcome to Aquia. This place is a lot fancier than I remember. Our clientele has climbed up a few notches. Everyone can't get enough time in the grotto. Adawa? There are natural baths in the caverns below the resort. Kind of like hot springs. People come for their healing qualities. It's what puts Sinclair on the map. Yeah, and then in the last 10 years, the Instagram people found it. We became a destination where you can have a unique experience. My sister was more responsible for that. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Evans? <laughs> we have a problem with room 212. If you could just come this way. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, sorry, I have to deal with this. Look, lunch is on us. Well, <laughs> everything is on us. But uh, meet these fellow diver folks, and hopefully you all get on, okay? They're over there on the patio.
So, Mr. Evans, I, I was speaking with your sister, and... Uh, hey, she, Charlie. Uh, huh? Oh. Is there something you're not telling me? Nothing. What do you mean? That's a Wetworks team. I think they just got a name from one of their high society contacts, and these are the contractors who showed up. My parents don't understand nuance in these situations. They just want 100% safety and certainty. What's down there? My wife's dead body. Charlie, I am so sorry. I need to understand everything that's at play here. I'm not doing a good job of explaining anything to anyone. I haven't even broached it with Alice. Alice? Our daughter. My parents had to tell her that Sophia isn't coming back. I can't even handle talking to her about it. You and Sophia had a daughter? How old is she? Ten. And where is Alice now? Somewhere around here. She comes and goes as she likes. Charlie. You know what? Maybe my parents are right. This is feeling too complicated right now. No, it's not complicated. I'm here and I'm going to go get her. Sophia really admired everything you did when you left. The career you've had, we've been following you from afar. I don't know what to say to that. She wanted to reach back out to you over the years. We both did, but then she'd change her mind. Why? She didn't want you coming back. She felt like you escaped from Sinclair, that you found a great life. She didn't want to drag you back here. Until now. <laughs> yeah, until now. Hi, welcome to Aquia. Will you be checking in? Yes. Veronica West, we've been expecting you. And you must be Dr. Anand and Mr. Moise. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Your suites are ready. We've got you next to each other. Have you run into Miss Evans yet? Charlie's sister, Lois? That's right. She's our general manager. She wanted to greet you personally. Oh. They've redone everything. Uh, I hardly recognize it. $300 for a facial. Now you know how they afford the Greek tile. Miss Evans is tied up at the moment, but she's booked you all for complimentary treatments before dinner. So if you'd like to settle in for a half hour before heading over to the spa... Oh, I can get you a map. Oh, I know where it is. Great. You're in rooms 119, 120, and 121. Thank you. Oh, and here you are. What's this? Complimentary shots. Oh, uh, sorry, it's... A little oh, early Not for... alcoholic. It's a cleansing tonic. Should help you get over the jet lag. Don't need to tell me twice. Oh. <coughs> yeah. It's that urchin again. They love that urchin. It's gross. Enjoy your stay. Thank you. Full treatment, huh? That one didn't even have a price on the menu. Sounds lovely to me. I thought this was work, not a vacation. Huh. They weren't joking about the fog, were they? Veronica? Did you see someone outside? Uh, no. I can't see ten feet. There. It's a girl. Veronica, what are you doing? Veronica! What the hell is going on? Veronica! What the hell? <sighs> Hello? Here. You shouldn't be out in weather like this. Are you Veronica? I am. And you must be Alice? Come inside and we'll talk. 
Are you just going to tell me my mom drowned? Oh, Alice. I... Alice? Alice! Come on, let's go inside and you can tell me all about it, okay? No, you need to come with me. Where? To meet Syl. She knows where mom is. Narcosis was created by Fred Greenhalgh and Chris Bernier. Written by Chris Bernier. Additional writing by Fred Greenhalgh. Directed by Fred Greenhalgh. Produced by Fred Greenhalgh and Rhoda Bieza. Executive producers, John Brooks and Molly Barton. Production manager, Devin Shepard. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Voices by Molly Hager, Shalani Bethina, Ian O'Brien, Zoe Glick, Aaron Neufer, Matthew Yeager, Jonathan Buckley, Kimberly Sue Murray, Kenny Miles, Crystalyn Lloyd, Christina Teleska, Ray Goyos, Woody Fu, Gina Vittori, Jeannie Bollet, Josh Cole, Alan Enloe, Robert Eunice, and Masayuki Yonezawa. Casting by Sunday Bolin Kennedy and Meg Mormon. Principal recording at Real Voice LA and CityVox NYC. Dialogue editing by Corey Barton. Sound design and mixing by Rory O'Shea. Original music by Marcus Vigala and Sam Vigala. Narcosis is a Realm original production. Find more shows like Narcosis on Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts are served. If you're listening on Spotify, we've got some questions and polls for you this season, so be sure to let us know how you're thinking about the show and what happened in this episode. Look for it in your Spotify app. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. All the links to the show you've just heard are in the show notes below. Definitely check them out and subscribe to their feeds if you like what you heard today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Leviathan Presents, and maybe you've discovered a new show that you'd like to binge. We're looking forward to bringing you some more amazing audio dramas to discover and letting you meet some of the phenomenally talented creators that are driving this renaissance in audio fiction today. Stay subscribed to this feed for more installments of Leviathan Presents, as well as all the full episodes of The Leviathan Chronicles, The Rapscallion Agency, The Invenios Expedition, and all the other spin-offs we have planned. This is Christoph signing off for now. Thanks again for listening. I'll be talking to you all real soon. Bye now. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.